Hello, welcome back to Falling Out. This is season three, and I'm your host, Elgin Strait. You may have noticed that I took a little bit of a break. Last time around was taxing, to say the least. And in the midst of pulling together what I hope will be the best season yet of Falling Out, I've been involved in anti-cult and anti-moony activism on a number of different fronts, which has further delayed season three, but also, I think, will further the cause of anti-cult activism in hopefully a material way. So for the delay, I'm sorry, but if you're listening to this, I'm also hopeful that you're supportive of the other avenues of activism against this cult and other cults. Specifically, what I'm referring to is I gave a speech on the 30th of March to support a charity called the Family Survival Trust. That speech was recorded, but it hasn't been released live to the internet yet. That will be happening soon. And in that speech, I specifically named and shamed two prominent individuals working for two prominent corporations. And these individuals are guilty of taking human trafficking money from the Moonies. And I'm going to call them out on their bullshit. And I'm going to ask their companies to make good on their own internal promises not to profit off of human trafficking. And when that video gets released to the wild, I'd like to invite you, the listener, to help me write some letters, send some messages, make some phone calls, make some fucking noise. Because it's not okay for people to profit from the suffering and even deaths of the human trafficked victims of the Unification Church, which you have heard outlined on this podcast in great detail. So please follow me on Twitter, follow me on Instagram, keep listening to the show. I hope to have some good updates for you. But yes, that has been keeping me busy. I've also been recording a ton and season three has some wild stuff happening in it. This season, I really wanted to explore what it's like other people looking at this organization from the outside what can we as insiders learn from them and vice versa and so at least four episodes this season two sets of interviews are going to be with people who didn't grow up in the moonies one of them in particular is with a guy named john gorenfeld john wrote a book called bad moon rising which is incredible and it details the long history of political influence peddling of the Unification Church. And this guy studied that on his own and pieced the story together on his own in a way that's actually probably better than almost any insider could have done. It's a really phenomenal book. I highly recommend you read it. But I also recommend you make sure to listen to episodes three and four because in those episodes, John Gorenfeld came to my house I did my first live interview in person in my kitchen. We shared a bottle of wine and talked about his whole experience writing that book and all the insanity that he experienced covering the Moonies and writing probably the best book on them ever written. That's just to start. That's not even to start. That's episodes three and four. After that, I have a set of interviews with a guy who saw the money coming and going into the church. This guy was also instrumental in the release of the birth certificate of the illegitimate child of one of Mood's children, which precipitated a lot of people leaving. This guy has the inside scoop on exactly how that birth certificate was released. It is amazing. 
this fine gentleman was also there as a teenager on a road trip with some of Moon's sons. And guess what? Yes, they were definitely assholes as they were teenagers, especially the one who owns the gun company now. We got some great stories and some great insight into just how psychopathic that family is. I also did an interview with a psychologist and an anthropologist. This will be episode seven and eight. And that's really looking at the various manipulation techniques that the Moonies employ. And we go really deep. And part of it, we actually dissect the recordings of Moon's speeches together. And that was really fascinating for me. And I hope it'll be fascinating for you as a listener to hear us talk about the differences in what we are absorbing from this speech as an insider versus an outsider listening to it. It's really fascinating. I think it gives a really unique window into coercion and how it works. Those are really fascinating episodes. And that's just the beginning. I haven't even figured out where the rest of the season is going. But if people want to talk to me about any of this stuff, talk to me and let's see if we can fit you in. And then let's talk about the first two episodes, the one that you're about to hear. Start with Mix Yeb Raven. If you're not familiar, Mix is an honorific term for trans people. Yeb is a member of the trans community and grew up in the Moonies, a place where everything boiled down to either male or female with no possibility for variation outside of those two fundamental particles of being effectively. So in addition to experiencing all of the trauma that someone experiences in this environment, Yeb just has a completely insane and different experience that I'm delighted to bring to light. And I'm also delighted to bring to light the fact that Yeb is fucking living their best life. I, I loved doing this interview because after all of the bullshit, you could really tell, and especially for those that see the video, you can tell just the joy that Yeb is experiencing in life. And it's so refreshing to hear that from someone who's been through it all. And more than that, we talk about their experiences in this shit show of a cult, but we go a level deeper to a place that I, I've always wanted to go with this show, which is really starting to focus on how do you rebuild your life afterwards. And I think Yeb just has some really great insights into that. And I'm so delighted that they took part in this interview. Before I get to the interview with Yeb, here's a brief bio. Yeb is a member of the trans community and does not identify as male or female. They are currently a child trauma therapist in training at a local child advocacy center, nonprofit for survivors of abuse. Yeb is completing their master's degree in counseling psychology with a concentration in drama therapy at California Institute of Integral Studies. Yeb is a local activist for queer and transgender rights and anti-oppression. They are particularly interested in qualitative research in which queer bodies and experiences of religious fundamentalism and cults intersect. Yeb hopes to serve our queer and trans youth and adult populations, as well as cult survivors, both in the community, mental health, and private practice sectors as a psychologist, which they are currently training for, just to be clear. Yeb aspires to open an LGBTQAI2 plus center in the remote rural area in the Sierra Nevada, where they currently reside. If you don't know what those terms are referring to, that's okay. 
I didn't know what all of them meant either. Look them up. You can Google them. Yeb is writing a book rooted in their queer experiences in the Mooney cult as a member, a queer and transgender person, in which they can share their research about these intersecting experiences and the particular type of trauma lens and perspectives required for mental health practitioners to be able to effectively help these populations. Yeb is a parent of two wonderful children, ages 7 and 11, and they are a partner to an amazing partner. If you are a member of the Queer X Mooney community, there is an active online group for you. And if you're interested in joining that group, you can contact Yeb directly about membership. Yeb's email address will be in the show notes, and we're going to read it right now. It's mixyebraven at gmail.com. That's M-X-Y-E-B-R-A-V-E-N at gmail.com. Yeb, thank you so much for taking part in this interview. I'm delighted to have you as the first guest for season three of Falling Out. Here it is, part one with Yeb. All right. Um, well, yeah, let's let's get started. So, uh, Yeb, welcome to the show. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure to have you here. Um, I guess, can we just sort of start off with how I always start off, kind of tell us a bit about sort of where and when you were born and um, start from there. Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, so, well, I should probably also preface all of this yeah, with that... Um, I identify as non-binary, uh, my pronouns are they, them, and I also identify as transgender. And that is important to my story. So I wanted to share that first. For sure. Um, and thank you so much for having me on the show. It's an honor. Oh, no problem. No problem. Uh, um, and yeah, we absolutely should address all of that. And that's a, a story and a perspective that hasn't been addressed on this show previously. So I'm really happy that we're, we're here having this conversation and we can shed some light on it. Uh, but I appreciate that that's probably comes into, into play later on. Um, but I, I think it's fair to, to, to preface that from the beginning. Thank you. Um, so, okay. So I, um, let's see. <laughs> now I'm getting more nervous. Can you ask me the question again? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm, looking, I'm looking at your questions. <laughs> okay. For, honestly, I, I wouldn't even worry about those. I, f- I feel like they're gonna, um, okay. Don't worry, don't worry about those. Don't worry about those. Okay. Uh, I'll, just I'll, be in the room with you. Just be in the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what it's about. And actually, so so here on my phone, I'm actually going to pull up the questions here so I can mm. refer back to them. Um, and then we're, we should be good to go. Hold on one second. Let me just pull that up here. Uh, yeah, cool. All right. Okay. Um, yeah. So can you, can you just to sort of help, help people understand the, the timeline and the, the geography that we're, that we're talking about here? Um, can you just start with sort of, sort of where and, and when you were born and then talk about sort of your, your early memories and your experience in the, in the, in the unification church to start with, and we'll, we'll move on from there. Yeah, that sounds good. Hard stuff first. Um, so yeah, so I was born in 1980 in Jerusalem, Israel. Um, My parents were part of the 1800 couples blessing. And my parents were those that went on missionary, like signed up for missionary assignments or whatever, like right Mm -hmm. off the bat after they got married. 
Um, so they were so, sent to Jerusalem. They were sent to Jerusalem by Moon, yes, effectively. And where yes. are, where are your parents from? My dad is American, um, and my I'm white. White. <laughs> my dad's American, <laughs> and my mom is English. Um, okay. Yeah. All right. and, and actually, my, you have, can I just say, yeah. are you like clicking a pen or something over there? Yes, I'm going like, to stop doing that. Sorry. Because like, <laughs> that's definitely coming up. Okay, good. Right. <laughs> I'm putting it down. Putting the pen right. down. <laughs> okay. I just, I, I just got to say, like, I'm, I'm realizing, I think I did get really nervous because I'm realizing that I have, I mean, I have told my story before, mm-hmm. but I haven't told it like, I don't know, in this context before. So, yeah. And, um, and I also think, I think it's probably, I mean, I don't know about you, but it's probably the sort of thing where you, you might have told individual pieces to individual people over, yeah. over the course of maybe your whole life or maybe 10 years or five years or something, but to sort of concentrate yeah. it all into like two to three hours, it's probably something mm-hmm. you've never done before. So this is probably an experience for you. Yeah. I mean, I have actually done it a couple of times, but it's also been in the context of like an assignment or um, like a project. Um, Mm. So um, I think I should probably start with maybe my, the context of like where my family, uh, like my parents were, and then move into like my experiences as a second generation. I think that's that's it. I think that'll help. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So my dad, so my dad, um, worked at the New York Tribune. He was one of the main editors there, or I think he was the chief editor, I'm not sure. Um, and so when he was in Jerusalem, so Jerusalem was where we sort of started our family. Um, but um, his mission was actually, like he called himself like a foreign correspondent, I'm doing air quotes, um, and missionary. Um, and so he actually traveled all over the Middle East and was one of the first, like, I guess the word, the term has been used in the podcast pioneering. He was yeah. a, like a pioneer. And so was my mom. So my and mom was know, actually. Can I just ask a question oh, here? I'm just, yeah, I'm yeah. just curious. Like, it's funny. He referred to himself as like a foreign correspondent and effectively, like I'm a journalist and a missionary at the same time. Do you know, was he there on a, like a religious visa or like, or like a journalism visa or do, I don't even know if journalism visas exist, but I'm wondering if there was a bit of like, you know, visa tomfoolery happening, happening there. I suspect so. He definitely wrote a lot though, when he was there. And I think he worked for a local paper in Jerusalem as well, like as like a independent or something. Um, but yeah, I suspect that it was probably that, (laughs) but that he was, I mean, you know, like being in the cult in general, like you're always a missionary first, even if you don't present it. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the outside world. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I just, I have a, I've, the longer, the more I do this, I I have a long, a long, uh, theory, uh, I'll, I'll spare the I'll spare the details, but effectively, I, I'm view I've now view the the entire UC as effectively a giant um, a giant labor labor trafficking organization fueled primarily by um, borderline immigration fraud, 
Um, so if you think about all of these arranged marriages, uh, many of them, uh, the end result of that allowed these people to work in various places. Uh, and I actually view the entire organization as almost like very strategically organizing these mass mass weddings um, to uh, facilitate the various business aims of Moon and his empire uh, by bringing workers into places and using, uh, you know, using the marriage system in whatever country, usually the U.S., um, to get these people in and allow, allow them to work. Sorry, there's a slight digression, but this is why why I ask is I kind of I want to start diving a little bit deeper into these these issues of like what are how did they they bend the existing rules to allow these people to do these things anyway. That's that's why I ask. Yeah, no, I think it's totally relevant. Thank you for, for interjecting that. Sure. Yes, I'm sure there was something at play to that. I know that my dad, like, I, I feel like when I remember him talking, so he's, he died, he died actually um, on April 5th, um, the year of the pandemic, um, so 2020. Okay, but like, I remember him talking about um, like how proud he was that he was like the first member in Jordan to have like three people from different religions in the same room and that like how he got kicked out for that. And, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, he had all these like journeys throughout the Middle East um, witnessing and, you know, being a missionary. Um, but we were based in Jerusalem and, and yeah, his, his front, I guess his front job was the foreign correspondent, <laughs> um, but he is really a missionary. And um we were there for a couple of years. My brother and I were both born there. I have three, I have, there, there are three of us. I have two siblings, two younger siblings. And my mom was from England and she, she and my dad both joined the church, joined the cult um, in their very early twenties. So I think my mom was even like 20, like maybe even 19. And my dad was like 21. And my dad joined in San Francisco and he worked for a a printing, um, a printing press that was owned by the moons. Mm -hmm. Um, And my, so I think that's kind of how he got into like the whole writing thing. He's always been like into writing, but, um, and my mom, uh, I think she joined in England. She was following, they were both following, this is interesting to me. They were both following exes, like, ex like girlfriend boyfriends yeah romantic partners mm -hmm. and so they're both like looking for them again and then these partners invited them to come to like a workshop oh (laughs) yeah so wait so So. both your parents have exes that joined the unification church and then invited them yes yes (laughs) yes and my mom in particular i remember her talking about how her X was kind of prominent in the European um, church. And so she never really got to hang out with him unless she like really just, you know, joined that caliber of work, I guess. So anyway, she ended up being one of the pioneers of the movement in France. And then I think she was 21. I guess I'm just, I I don't really know that the history that well, but I guess Mm -hmm. I kind of read that as they I guess they sort of established a beachhead in England that, and then from that was kind of, kind of like the, the HQ or the base of operations in Europe, um, probably yeah. coming from the U S to, to, to the UK and then started trying to get in other countries over here from there. I yeah, think makes so. Sense. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And then she was also one of those ones that um, um, was sent overseas, like didn't like had total like disconnect from her parents were told like not to stay in touch with her parents, which happened a lot to this first generation. Right. Yeah. And then, and then she, without even telling her parents moved to America and, (laughs) and got matched in the 1800 couples with my dad. Did did (laughs) you tell him knowing him three days? Did she tell him that she was getting married? Um, I think eventually she did, but I don't think that, I don't think she did. Like after the fact, by the way, yeah, my husband. Yeah. I think it was like after she started having kids actually. (laughs) Oh my God. This fucking thing. Jesus Christ. Yeah. All about the family though. It's all about the family. Right. Family values. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so they were there, they were in Jerusalem um, for about two, about like one and a half to two years. Um, and then they moved back. We moved back to the States, to New York, um, and they put us in Jacob's house. Um, That's, and yeah. I just talked to my mom last night because I was like, I'm going to be on this podcast and I need a little, a few little blanks filled in. Oh, good. Okay, okay. That, great. Which I can tell you about that relationship too, because that's kind of a success actually. Oh, wow. But, yeah, um, that's awesome. Yeah. But I, I feel like a lot of the story, my story is also their story. Mm. Um, and a lot of my, um, like my soul searching, my growth, um, you know, my healing has been around trying to understand how the fuck my parents got involved in this and like understanding that like I don't need to have as much blame or like anger towards them you know because uh, I think that comes up a lot for people it's like oh my gosh how could my family like how could my parents do this to me how could my parents put me in these dangerous situations you know yeah it's a big that's a big big it's a big issue for a lot of us I would say yeah. And so I have a lot of, like, I have some things to say about that in like the okay. psych- in psychological terms, but I'll just tell the story for now, which okay. is just that, um, so we were in Jacob's house and so they, so they put, so I was, um, and like with the timeline, um, I think they said like, I think he, she said like 81 at the end of the year 81. So I was like, not quite two. My brother was not quite one. And then my mom got pregnant while she, while they sent her away. So they sent her away. Um, she went to, she didn't, I don't think she went international, but you know, moon recalled like moon was like, okay, everybody, all the mothers put your, put your children that you just had into Jacob's house yeah. or somewhere. I know that there was like a California, you know, um, faction too. Yeah. And then actually, go witness. Right. I just, I just want to say there, um, this is something that we're going to, going to explore further on the show, but I am. I just to kind of uh, paint this paint the scene there. So um, uh, yeah. the the interview that I did with Teresa Obayashi, the w- the woman who worked in Jacob House, uh, she mm. said that there are Jacob House and I think three other ones, and she gave she gave the locations of those. One I think was Ohio. Um, oh. I, I, uh, one was in one was in like the Bay Area in California. There's another one. I need to go back and listen to it. But after listening to that, uh, I have. Uh, people have come and talked to me and I'm probably going to talk to some of these people in the future, but um, I, I've learned of, I think three more of these facilities. Uh, so one was in Pasadena, California. 
Uh, there was mm-hmm. one here in the UK. Um, there was one, I just found out about this recently, uh, smaller scale uh, in the Netherlands. Um, so this was happening. I mean, those are just the ones we know about. There's probably more, right? Um, so yeah, I guess I just want to, I just want to make that clear to the audience that like we've kind of ended up sort of focusing on this one place, but there's Mm -hmm. lots of other places like this, um, where this sort of shit was happening. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we went into Jacob house pretty young and I was trying to get a sense from my mom, like for how long we were there. Yeah. Um, but what I found out, which I didn't know, was that after she put us in um, Jake House and went witnessing again and went to uh, D.C., Washington, D.C. and Baltimore, she um, got pregnant. And then three months later, brought my sister to Jake House. So my sister was there from three months um, and my oh, brother you... and I were there. Okay. Oh, you mean? Wait, okay. Sorry, you met, You said she got pregnant, and then three months later, your sister went there. You mean she got pregnant, had her, had your sister, and then three months later, your yes. sister was there. Okay. Yes, at three months old, my sister was admitted. Okay. Wow. God, that's yeah. so young. I mean, it 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 fits yeah. with what we've been talking about this whole like hundred days. After a hundred days, they're ready to go, according to Moon. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. So that and means that all a, a big. All three of you. All were there. three of us. Jesus Christ. We, all three of us were there. Mm-hmm. Um. And that was like a really, it fit, it, it helped me kind of like put some pieces together because when I was listening to Leamy's um, episode and she was talking about how there was like a nursery and, um, you know, like how the babies were kind of a little bit like, like all the kids were kind of separated. Mm-hmm. The babies were in a different place. I don't know if some of them were in Grace Mirror, but what I remember was, um, and I even did like a, <laughs> for a project in graduate school, I did like a, um, a floor plan of my memory of Jacob house, which was like, and I can share it if you want. I don't know if it's actually accurate. I would love to see it. Yeah. (laughs) But it was basically like, you know, this, uh, oh, and I guess I should also say that my very first memories, and I actually got to tell my mom this last night, which was kind of tremendous because I don't think she knew this either, but my very first memories as a child were of that place. Wow. Like, I don't remember anything from Jerusalem, except for like, you know how when your parents tell you stories like, oh, this happened to you when you were a kid, and then you kind of fill in the blanks a little bit. And then it kind of becomes your, you like adopt that memory, like, oh, they said it happened. So it happened. So um, what I remember from that place was, you know, of course, like this big, like lobby entrance hall. um, Do you remember the painting? I don't remember the painting, but I do remember the aquarium. Okay. All right. I, I, was there a painting? What was the painting? <laughs> the painting. Okay. You, I, you probably have, have you listened to the, the interview with Teresa Obayashi? I haven't uh, yet. Okay. Yeah, I haven't gotten that. Okay. Far. So, okay. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. Do you know why it's called Jacob house? It's something providential. <laughs> Dude, everyone fucking thinks that, but it's not, I don't know. It's not. It's it? because, uh, um, there was a painting in, in the lobby in that, in that sort of foyer that, that, that you, that you're talking about, which I, yeah. and I, I should say I was never a resident there, uh, but I believe I kind of visited there when I was younger. So technically I've been there, but I don't have any memories of it. But according to yeah. Teresa, who was an, an adult, which was working there uh, in that foyer that you were just talking about, um, there was a big mm-hmm. painting, a big mural of um, Jacob wrestling the angel from the biblical story. 
Um, oh yeah. And this is she sent me a, a a copy of it. I can I can send I can show it to you later. But um, okay. when they when they bought the house, um, th- there was this like this huge uh, mural of that. And if you look at it, um, it's like you can tell one of these either Jacob's going to die or the, the angel is going to die as a result of this fight. It's like, you, you can tell they're like fighting to the death. Basically there's no blood in it, but it's a, it's a very violent image effectively. Um, and Whoa. that's, that's where the place got its name. I think Teresa said it got taken huh. down at some point, but it was named after mm-hmm. this mural of Jacob in that, in that entryway. Okay. That's good to know. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I remember the aquarium, which I think maybe was on the opposite side of that painting. It was kind of more where the hallway was. Cause like when you walked in, there was like a stair, like a stairway, right. That went up to the top floor. And I think that was where the nursery was. Um, and maybe where some members lived or slept or something, the caregivers. Um, and then I think on the right of the building was kind of where the girls the girls I'm doing air quotes again slept and like the boys were somewhere on the left and I remember this really long hallway that was like checkered like tile checkered tiles black and white checkered tiles on the I think it was in the um entryway too but anyway that led to the cafe eventually to the cafeteria like further down um but I also really remember the grounds like in the in the front of the in front of Jacob's house, because I spent a lot of time there. And what's interesting to me about my memories there, I also remember my, my very first dream um, oh. that happened there. Um, so I want to share that to you, if that's okay. okay. Yeah, go for it. Um, but before I share that, I want to say that I also, in like re- recalling, you know, this, this part of my life, I find it interesting that I have no memory of adults at all. Whoa. Yeah, that's crazy, like, right? none (laughs) like all my memories are like spending time with my brother and a little bit the other sisters and I say that in air quotes because I don't consider myself a you know a a sister (laughs) but like um the other kid the the other other kids you were there you were there that were perceived as as girls yeah yeah um and so okay so I remember like there was a rabbit, there was a little like rabbit cage and there were swings and there was this little grove of trees. And I remember somebody that the only memory that I have of like any, even like any adult influence at all was that somebody, and I don't remember who it was, but I have a sense that it was like right after my mom left and they were like trying to cheer me up or something um, that somebody had told me that like the seed in my orange would grow into an inch, a tree. And I was so fascinated by that, that I like immediately ran out to the front guards and like, there was this grove of trees and I like planted in the middle. And I remember the whole time I was there, I was waiting for that tree to grow, (laughs) to come up. Did you you ever, did it ever even like sprout just a little bit? Did you see anything? I don't think so. I don't remember, but I think I would have remembered if it did. Yeah, you probably would, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, you know, I was two, so yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's early to remember anything quite honestly, but it, it's, right? it's very telling that you, you remember the kids, but not the grownups um, that uh-huh. I mean, like we've talked a lot on this show about just the amount of negligence and how, how the grownups were just kind of never there. And there were always too many kids 
the, the, the kid to grown up ratio was was way higher than would be considered safe and that yeah yeah that just kind of kind of confirms that the fact that, that those are your memories yeah um yeah thank you and um the other piece of that time well okay so I'll tell about the talk about the dream and then I'm going to talk about my parents for a minute okay because there was something significant that happened while we were in Jacob's house at least I think it's significant to the story to other to listeners not just to me yeah. go for <laughs> um, it so okay so my dream I still remember it so vividly to this day and I wonder now if it was like impacted also by the painting but um the dream was that I woke up and I was I was in Jacob's house still but of course it looked a little different as things do in dreams yeah and there were these wild ferocious wild animals walking the halls like amongst the people and they weren't like, they were like big tigers and lions and, you know, panthers and stuff. And they weren't biting the kids or doing anything. But the, the sense that I remember from the dream was very much like there is like serious danger here that we are just in the midst of. Whoa. That, oh, that's creepy to think about. I- yeah. I, I think it was even like they would like come and like lie in our beds too with us kind of, you know, like it was like they were doing stuff with us throughout the day, like a normal day, but except there were just like, there was this zoo of other creatures that were really <laughs> dangerous and precious. Whoa. <laughs> That's really creepy. That's like, oh, makes my skin crawl to think about that um yeah just yeah and think, this is like a three-year-old's dream right like no be like between two and three-year-old yeah right? and I mean and I, I when you started describing that part of me was like is you know you, you it, it could be like you know thinking of scary scary creatures like roaming the halls almost like you know this idea of, of evil spirits that that the church put put in us at a young age like that's kind of what 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 came to mind when you first said it, but then when you described it, it actually mm-hmm. seems like something, something different, like, like predators, almost like real, like physical danger. Um, yeah. Permeating the place, which is, which is different from, uh, well, I think it's different any, anyway. Um, yeah. That's just, oh, it's creepy. Yeah. Well, I mean, and kids are so open when they're little too, you know, like that's another thing I've really noticed as being a parent, you know, like I remember my, my kid when she was really little I mean it's almost like they're going back and forth between whatever dimensional reality yeah when they're you know what I mean so yeah um but you know I mean it could have been a symbol of both (laughs) yeah but I it almost feels like a um to me almost like an instinctive like you instinctively knew that something was not maybe maybe not right is is not the way to phrase it, but you, not you, safe. Not safe. Yeah, you you knew that something mm-hmm. was not safe there, even as a two or three year old. Yeah, you knew your survival instinct was telling you that something was was off there. Um, mm-hmm. That's very telling. Yeah, yeah, and and what's what's interesting to me about that too is that so like you know in studying psychology, I study like. Um, you know, the relationship, the development of the human being and our brains and also like the relationship um, between our parents. And, you know, that 
relationship is like uh, there's a theory called attachment style. It's very popular now. Most people probably you probably have heard of it yeah. even. <clears throat> and and there's something about that like being with like that's why okay so that's why orphans in like the stories that you hear about the orphans in Russia. There's this like really famous case about like this orphanage in Russia where um, there were so many cribs in the orphanage. Um, and I, I kind of consider Jacob's house an orphanage too. I think that mm. that description rings true for a lot yeah, of us. I think so. But like, but there's this story or this study about how like there were so many cribs that basically the only physical touch and interaction with like a parental guardian figure that these kids had for like their first, uh, some of them were even there until they were like three or four or five, but like really little. Um, infants um, was there when they got changed and when they got fed and that only happened like two or three times a day oh, man. Um, and, and these kids um, grew up with like severe developmental disorders both physical and mental um, and there's a lot of studies about how wow. neglect is actually severely damaging to the development of the brain <laughs> and processing and so what I, what I find myself thinking about in terms of this um, environment was I had a really attentive mother before I was in Jacob house. Like I was actually breastfed for nine months, which is also like a big deal mm -hmm. <laughs> in terms of like that physical, you know, affection and that like, you know, some people even call it the, um, the third, the third, the fourth trimester, the first three months of a baby's life. Mm -hmm. Maybe you've heard that too, yeah. right? Um, there's like almost no distinction between mother and, and child, between parent and child at that, in the child's eyes, you know, so they really need that piece that's called in some psychological theories is called like serve and return. They really need um, a parent who's like looking at them and smiling at them and saying like, oh, I see you. And then they, you know, respond. <clears throat> and so anyway, I had a lot of that with my mother because um, I was the first child and we were just, I mean, my mother talks about that time in Jerusalem very fondly. And then to go from that to an environment where I don't even remember a single guardian um, in that crucial developmental stage. And then I think about my sister too, that she was like three months and like God, she didn't have like hardly any of that, right? Anyway, <clears throat> and then how that transfers to this dream about like, my perception of safety and like this primal danger, <laughs> mm. you know? Yeah. Mm. You knew, you knew something. Um, yeah. You knew something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I also remember going upstairs a lot to try to find my sister and bring her down and like, take care of her. Okay. Which is a theme well, I've also heard in your episodes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Were, were you yeah. allowed to do that? Did, did, or, yeah. Were you allowed to see her? So I don't know because I know that there was a time where she was in Jacob's house. Cause I remember going up and down those stairs, but I also remember some stories. Somebody told me, Oh, sorry. <laughs> somebody told me about how you go at, like I would go up and try to bring her down and then the aunties would like come and try to like take her back <laughs> like oh no 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 no! don't bring the baby down you know okay so maybe not maybe I wasn't allowed to see her but I know that there was a big preoccupation with me keeping my family together 
and like always like looking out for my brother and trying to find my sister yeah I could see that and yeah like you say you're not the only the only person who who has stories of of you know similar similar feelings of trying to sort of keep keep their family together like yeah the older sibling trying to you know be there for their their sibling in whatever way they could when they were like three four or five year old five years old um yeah yeah Yeah. I think that was a theme in most places for siblings and it's interesting I think you mentioned something about on uh, one of the podcasts about how like or maybe it was Lini's podcast too is fresh in my mind like she knew like she knew that that was her sibling even though we were told that we were all brothers and sisters yeah yeah. So, so even then you, you knew that there was something different. They weren't like, they weren't just another person. They were, there was a connection there, even though, I mean, to, to, in, in theory, if you take the, the party line from the church, it's almost like that blood tie doesn't even matter. Um, like the other, the other kids are your, your so-called siblings. Um, yeah, that was definitely the indoctrination. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the thing that I wanted to share about my parents that happened Mm. during this time was that my mom had a psychotic break. um, Okay, after she dropped us off. Oh, really? So, so well, okay. Like, how how old were you, and how old were your siblings? So I don't know exactly when it happened, but it was sometime when we were in Jacob's house, and I think we were in Jacob's house for like two or three years. And like after your the the third one was dropped off. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, and she basically she had a psychotic break and she left the cult the church okay and my father um was counseled by several members um like you know higher uh, leaders to put her in a mental institution to brainwash her to come back what the fuck fuck that yeah. And so until yesterday, I, this is how I thought the story went. And then I'm going to tell you actually how the story went. Okay. Holy <laughs> so, shit. Because this is kind of crazy. So my whole, like most of my life, my dad told me this when I was young, because he was totally parentifying me. I mean, it was, I was definitely like the mother figure in the yeah. household. I took care of, like I was doing laundry from when I was like six years old for like mm-hmm. the entire household. Yeah. That kind of stuff, you know? Um, so he told, I, I knew this for a long time, but what I didn't know was, so my dad told me that he refused to do it. He refused to do that to my mom. Okay. Okay. Um, <clears throat> what my mom told me was that she had learned that he was going to do it. Um, and so she stayed away because she was afraid. So he being, wouldn't but, have the chance to like stick her there. To, I guess, I don't know if like what, kidnap her. I don't know what, I don't know what the right word is, but he couldn't like physically yeah. take her there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, against her will. So <clears throat> the other thing that happened while we were in Jacob's house was that my mom met, and it, this was in DC, and her memory gets really fuzzy. And at some point, maybe we can talk about CPTSD, PTSD. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> the way that your brain works differently after trauma. <laughs> yeah. Um, but So she doesn't have a whole lot of memory, but I do know that she met this person in DC and we didn't know this at the time, but this person was one of the 
leaders of the neo-Nazi movement in America at that time. And because my mom had was like so vulnerable and had had so much loss and leaving her three kids and everything that had happened, you know, up until that point, um, she believed him. So he basically, so she, she cult hopped to a psychopath (laughs) who told her that he was channeling St. Peter. What the fuck? He, wait, (laughs) hold on. Yeah. Like it's, it was bad enough. You like cult hop neo-Nazi, like that's, that's enough there. But then this motherfucker was also channeling people who do. That's that's what he told her. Mm-hmm. Is that like run-of-the-mill neo-Nazi shit for the for the 80s or like what what the fuck are you, you Jesus yeah Christ. I don't know I don't know but the story goes that she was trying to like her story is that she was trying to witness and she was so like she was in that state of like oh my god I just have to do exactly what the church needs me to do and I can get my children back I will do literally everything or anything and it kind of reminded me of the what was it called the hookers for jesus from <laughs> oh the flirty fishing the children of god yes was it? Yeah. yes from the children of god yeah um so she basically like took this man on full force as like her um what was it called spiritual, like, spiritual child. child yeah and so much so that she moved in with him and supported him um like fully with like all of her jobs and but wait, can I totally, <laughs> can I just ask a, a know, it's clarifying a, question yeah. there? So, yeah. So wait, she had a psychotic break mm-hmm. and she left, she left the Moonies and joined this, this neo-Nazi cult. But then, but you also mentioned that she felt like she was doing like a providential mission to like witness to him. So mm-hmm. what was that providential mission? Was that still connected to the Moonies? Did, is, is that what? like or was that like a plot twist that she told you like 20 years later or right that's what she told me 20 years later oh really so yeah so I think that was in her mind Holy shit. but everybody else thought that she had left like she was gone you know she was but playing the mind, long she con was she was inde- yes indoctrinated like crazy making like how do you she had to she she had a psychotic break she wasn't in her right mind Holy you know, shit. like clearly. <laughs> so anyway, so what happened with this person? So they, they were living in New Jersey. And as you know, the Jacobs house is in New York. Yeah. And then my dad, um, I don't remember why or how, but maybe it was, maybe it was because the, um, maybe it was because the moons were getting some heat finally from Jacob's house. I don't know, but he ended up um, moving us all in with him um, into the New Yorker. Do you question there? Do you know what year that was? I think that it was like 1984 or five. I was going to say 84. Yeah. It's gotta be 84. Yeah. That's, I was going to guess 84. So again, I appreciate you having okay. listened listen to this, but uh, yeah. the, uh, the last interview of, of season two with Teresa Obayashi and Limi and Aljin uh, specifically talks about Jacob house shutting down. Uh, I'm not going to spoil okay. it, spoil it for you here, but um you should definitely listen to that because we talk about the reasons why it was shut down in 84. Um, so cool. I would guess that, that yeah, 84 was the time that that happened. Cool. And the fact that That's you said eight, 84, 85 without being prompted by me sort of it, it indicates that all, all these stories are, you know, aligning effectively. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think like that also tracks with like about how much time we were there. Yeah. You know, okay. like two to three years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, so that was happening. And, um, and in meanwhile, this person who we, again, we didn't know. So at this time, my mom did not know that he was part of the neo-Nazi movement. So he was like pretending to be channeling St. Peter and going uh, along okay. with like, oh yeah, you're supporting me. And I'll tell you about how he found out later. Okay. But um, I'm not sure to tell you now. <laughs> uh, whenever you think makes sense. Whenever you think story. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're killing it. Okay. Just, just, just roll with it. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. They all kind of fit together. So I have to tell it in like a certain way. Yeah. So yeah. So, okay. So then my dad moves us to the New Yorker on his own. He's a single dad in the cult mm-hmm. <laughs> of three kids. One of them is like still a baby in diapers. Right. Yeah. Um, and he's also heading this paper and it was so interesting to hear about how little the people made <laughs> at the different papers and the different yeah. organizations you know so I'm sure that he was like he moved us into um the New Yorker because it was cheap or free yeah and he was but then probably not getting paid anything at all if they're giving him a place to live for free they're probably mm-hmm. they're probably I don't know, but I, I would guess he's earning hardly anything. Yeah, that kind of tracks because he had a lot of side jobs too. So he was also, mm-hmm. he also did fundraising um, at the time in the New Yorker. Um, and he was like, you know, he was kind of hoping that my mom would come back, you know, like he was, was it was kind of sweet and romantic in a wit, in a weird mm. twisted way. Like he was just like, she'll come back, you know, like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do this. I didn't really sign up for, for, for taking care of kids. At one point in his later years, he told me that he almost sold us to another family. Um, what? You know, the whole like gifting child thing. The offering like child? The what, offering like child, yeah. Gave, mm-hmm. but wait, you, you use the word sold. Yeah. Was that what, like, was some, okay, I've always thought these were gifts. Obviously, the heavily coerced gifts from from church leadership and all the rest, but are you saying that was like they, people were actually trying to buy you? Well, I don't know if there were people trying to buy me, but I, I did get the sense from my dad that he would get some kind of compensation, not like a lot or anything, but just like something to be like, thank you so much for giving us a blessed child. Fuck. Yeah. Jesus so, but, Christ. You know, I, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> that's just what my dad said. So. Fuck. Jesus fucking um, Christ. So, so there was, you know, there was like a lot of, um, obviously a lot of like psychological turmoil for him and just like taking on these three kids, doing all these extra jobs in the, in the Tribune, he was, he was there, he was working as an editor, but he also had all these side jobs. So like, in some ways I have some good memories of the New Yorker because he would like, he started this, um, he was always like writing these like editorial, like he, he had this this like regular editorial that was called out of my mind or something about a single dad raising three kids in New York city. Okay. Um, and he was, he did a lot of like movie and um, like show reviews. So he would like take us to movies. That actually sounds fun. That sounds like an awesome, like actually like an awesome job being like, doing like film and theater (laughs) reviews and like writing columns like that in in Manhattan. Like, come on. (laughs) It's kind of awesome. (laughs) 
yeah, he was kind of a cool guy. He was he was like really eccentric and individual. He was a he was a weird Mooney. It's <laughs> 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 like very individualistic in some way. Um, some ways. Um, yeah. So like we got to go to like the ice capades, I remember one year. Yeah. And then he would like be really and then he'd give us that attention that like I know all of us probably craved at that point where he would mm-hmm. be like, What did you think of that show? <laughs> mm-hmm. Because then he would write about it, you know, he'd write about it from yeah. a kid's point of view. But yeah, he probably didn't make any money because that's that's why he was doing all those side hustles. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, but he did like um we had a two bed we had like a two suite, you know, place. Yeah. Like on a corner. And he like made like, you know, there was like four bathrooms so he made like two of them into like kitchen he did he did renovation on like yeah he like made one or two of them kitchens um but then he also like put us in like so I went to we went to school um in the kid we went to school and we got care in the New Yorker Mm -hmm. um and one of the people that cared for me I can't say her name because her daughter is still as far as I know in the cult Okay. But what I can say, and I hope that she's listening to this is, and she will know who I am, Yeah. Um, even though I'm not using the name that I had in the church anymore. She was, her mom um, nannied me. Um, and I guess we had a very special relationship. I have like, I have like a card from her still that where she like wrote something very sweet about our time together when my dad was working. And um, she named so i i got my name from um reverend reverend quack okay yeah and um she named her daughter the same name that i was given okay i just want to say something for the for the people that are um that are listening when you said reverend quack you gave me this look of like I think that's his name. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, <laughs> well, I know it's Quack, but I don't know if it was Reverend or like yeah, doctor. Yeah, or... yeah, but it, it's just hilarious. It, like, it, you're not the only person who's <laughs> giving me that look when they're trying to explain like how they got their name. They're like some guy who maybe like they. <laughs> I just it's. I mean, it's tragic in a way. Like, if you're going to be named after someone or by someone, like, you know just it'd be nice if it was like someone honorable and like someone worth remembering um mm-hmm. as opposed to just <laughs> some korean dude uh who's totally. near, near the top of the pyramid scheme um anyway yeah yeah totally <laughs> so anyway i think i think this lady was also like i didn't realize this until i listened to your podcast but i think the lady who was nannying me at the time was you know one of those people that revered the people who were 1800 couples and that's why she okay. was helping us can you, you know i just if you say the name i can take it out before this gets published are you okay saying the name just because i might it might it might like spur some recognition in me basically okay i don't know her last name but i can okay. tell you you know my you know my actual name yeah right it's korean yeah um and her name was the care that was the caretaker's name that was the caretaker oh, okay name. i've never heard of that person mm-hmm. okay there are some caretakers that i know of that took care of me and that took my took care of my sister uh but that that's not a name that i'm, that I'm familiar with okay okay and maybe you can bleep this out but anyway she ended up naming her daughter after me and that's Got it. and that name is you know yeah. um and 
I'm, I'm just really careful about this because if you Google us, the, yeah. there, those two, two of us will be the only things that comes yeah, up okay. on the internet. Yeah. I'll, I'll make sure I'll, I'll take it out. I'll, I'll, yeah. Yeah. We'll, okay. we'll, we'll, we'll make it work. Yeah. Her name, her last name is, but I think that was, that's her husband's name who she got okay. blessed to. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Or maybe that was her name before she got blessed. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't. None of like actually. none of those names ring a bell to me at all. Ring a bell. Okay. Uh, but just to, as someone, so I was in the Jacob House Nursery, or sorry, not Jacob House Nursery. I was in the New Yorker Nursery, probably around '84. Mm-hmm. I was there, okay. and I remember. I remember one person in particular who was my caretaker there, who, who isn't the person that you mentioned. Um, so I was just curious if maybe we were like in the same. We probably right. were. You and I probably were in the same nursery together you know, nearly 40 years ago now, um, <laughs> probably most likely, like there can't have been that many nurseries in the New Yorker hotel in 1984. Uh, so yeah. we were probably in the same place. Did you know somebody named Missy? No. Or Christina? No. No. Okay. Cause I have this picture also, like I did, I did go to school in the New Yorker in the church in the New yeah. Yorker and graduated um I have this like graduation picture from okay. kindergarten so they had a and kindergarten was, like, in really the New Yorker high. hotel okay yeah I remember it was like really high up and one of okay. like, the top floors yeah okay all right um, yeah I, I don't have any recollection of that um okay and yeah actually I, I remember I went to kindergarten after my parents after we moved to DC I went to kindergarten so I wouldn't have gone to kindergarten there okay um, yeah, it feels like we just missed each other in some yeah. like really significantly weird. Yeah, day. <laughs> exactly. But I'm sure. Sh- yeah, but yeah, I'm sure we were in the same place at the same time at some point when we were younger. Yeah. So okay. So I do want to touch on my name. I forgot to touch on that. Um, yeah. And I'm like, don't want it. I don't want it out. But um, but I will say that my name means literally in Korean, it means charming girl, mm. and so. As being someone who does not identify that way, being in that box for my yeah. whole life, like I used to tell people, like when they asked me what it meant, I'd be like, yeah, it's a lot, lot to live up to before I came out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so being like, I guess I want to just say, say something about the indoctrination of not just like the cult mentality, um, but also like the indoctrination of a very specific perspective of gender. Mm. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, it's not something that I thought of thought of before, but I can completely see it. Like if if you don't think that describes you, and yet that's the name that you've been given, then mm-hmm. what is that? Like, what what is that? That's 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 awful. That's like that's that's shit. <laughs> that's that's shit. And you mean like that's like yeah, what the fuck, man? That's a lot of cognitive dissonance yeah yeah it's a lot of like who the hell am I yeah I think I think (laughs) I don't really know who I am anyway because I don't belong to myself yeah (laughs) I belong to moon and exactly yeah I think all of us have there's so many layers of that like who the fuck am I but yours goes a layer deeper The, the, the onions got a few extra layers on it there with with that particular yeah that particular name um yeah, and all, I think all of us, like especially all of us with with weird names, I think we all. Well, for me, I, I part of me wonders. I'm like, what would my life been like if I was my name was just like John or like or <laughs> or David or it's just something complete? You know, like like maybe would, would I have been better or worse off? I don't I don't really know. But 
I do think about that from, from time to time for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. <sighs> Okay, I'm trying to get the story out, and it's just like, and now I need a drink. (laughs) This is what I did. If you want to go, go get one. Go for it. (laughs) But it's like, oh, it's early your time. Yeah, it's like in the afternoon at my house. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's late here. It's it's nine thirty now. It's nine thirty on Saturday. Come on, it's it's wine time. Um, That's that's true. That's very true. Yeah, I feel like I want to go back into like I just want to like connect the dots. Yeah, sure. I'm also like not, I guess I'm not as attached to it as I was when I first started this conversation. So, um, yeah, there's so many pieces that I want to like pull in. Like I, I remember on the podcast, somebody had said that a kid almost lost their finger. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. I think that was my brother because I remember he got his, we would go down that escalator, that very escalator that y'all were talking about that went yeah. down to the Koya Mart. Yeah. From the Koya Mart. Yeah. Um, from the lobby to the basement. Yeah, I remember that Where one, the big yeah. vault was. Yeah. And and he got his, we were always, we were, we were always running around with like no supervision. Yeah. Similar to yeah. other stories. Similar story, yeah. Right. And he got his toe stuck uh, his sock stuck in the escalator oh, fuck, dude. and he almost lost his toe. Like it was touch and go there for a minute. <laughs> Wait, okay. So like, do, like, did it get cut off and then had to be put back on or like, it just nearly got cut off. It got nibbled. Oh, Jesus yeah. Christ. But it didn't like, he didn't have to like reattach any, oh, I don't know. Maybe fuck. it happened to more than one kid. Yeah. I mean, well, so actually, no. Okay. Place. So the person, um, the person who nearly lost a finger is not is not your brother. I can I can confirm that it was some someone else who contacted me. Oh my god! Uh, so now you have this like serial s- limb, you know, limb slicing escalator at uh in the New Yorker hotel. Um, yeah, it was completely it was someone completely different. Um. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I mean, it's not hilarious, but (laughs) my brother would not remember it as hilarious. That's for sure. (laughs) But yeah, that was scary. Um, Yeah. So yeah, so we were, we ran around a lot. I went to that school there. So all these things were happening. And meanwhile, my, my mother was on her own trip and mission in New New Jersey. Um, And then my, my dad started putting us into public daycare. Um, and I don't know why that happened, but we went to this place called Hudson Guild, which um, apparently Whoopi Goldberg went to when <laughs> she was a kid. And so she funded it. And I remember going to this, like, and then we went to public school. We started, I started going to public school and I could walk to, like, we could walk to the public school from the New Yorker. Oh, wow. Like okay. where it was. Okay. Um, and I remember like, there were just some crazy times where like my dad, like one time we had the chicken pox and my dad, I don't know if he was just out of it or what. He's probably like exhausted. Um, but he like, I really wanted to go to school that day because I knew that my mom was going to pick me up. And so she started coming back into our lives a little bit oh, Okay. when I was like in first or second grade. Um, and I was so excited to see her that I was just like, dad, I know how to get to school. Just let me go to school. 
And he let me go to school without any parental, like there was nobody, and nobody walked me to school. <laughs> so for, in your first grade, that's like six years old. In Manhattan yeah. in the eighties. Yeah. In that neighborhood, you know how dangerous that neighborhood was back then. <laughs> in fact, another time, oh I think it was when I was in kindergarten with the church, we were like taking a walk outside and I got kicked in the face by some kind of like druggie or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that was like regular. So somehow I made it. I didn't, you know, I wasn't kidnapped or trafficked wow. by any other cults at oh, that time that, for that journey. But, <laughs> oh, but you know, it's like crazy shit like that. And I remember yeah. like, I have lots of stories about the, like the New Yorker just feels like that's that was like my childhood home. Yeah. Mm. So, so yeah, you you're know, like swinging to... on the chandeliers, <laughs> literally, literally swinging on the chandeliers. No, but like climbing okay. up to the high high tape like trying to reach the chandeliers because they were yeah. so pretty you know and like yeah. shiny and sometimes things would fall down off of them you know uh, you could find like little like those little crystals mm-hmm. it was like a crystal hunt or like climbing up like I loved high things so I was like climbing up on the high windows and I remember sometimes the security guards be like get down off the windows mm-hmm. kid but most of the time they didn't care yeah and then we'd like explore like there were all these like construction site zones um yeah I don't know if you remember that, but I think we were on the 22nd floor. Um, and then above that, there were other places that were under construction that had okay, like carpet, no. cardboard on the carpets and stuff I like that. I don't remember that. Yeah, but I, but I believe it. I mean, it's just like a, it was a building that like was in dire need of renovation and a bunch of kids. And what are they going to do? They're just going to explore it to do like urban exploring in this building and there's no one to stop them. So yeah, they're going to do yeah. it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so we went in all the ballrooms, all that stuff. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> oh, did you did you go in Nikola Tesla's room? What did Nikola Tesla's room look like? I, I don't know. I just know it's there. I just know that there's a room in the New Yorker Hotel, which is where Nikola Tesla stayed. Uh, and oh, he, he, did he die there? Oh, maybe he died, he died there. He might have died. I don't know. I think he might have died there. Yeah. Um, but I know it's a thing. Like you can go and if, like you can book that. I think you can go and like specifically stay in that room if you want um whoa I think uh anyway i'm just curious if you have any recollections of going there and I th- i've seen i've seen a photo of like a plaque there's a plaque on the on the on the door that says this is like what either where nikola tesla used to live or, or where he lived and died i don't know but that oh, happened wow. in the new yorker yeah huh. i don't know that but i do know that there are tunnels that connect to other places from that place like connect to other buildings uh-huh or at least there used to be okay like i don't know if they're blocked off now but yeah. it was a very very old building mm. that that yeah. building yeah yeah so okay so the other thing that i want to share is obviously so we've got let's see so far we've got abandonment we've <laughs> got neglect <laughs> um child endangerment <laughs> um I'm laughing because that is, by the way, my impulse of how to deal with stress. I've mm. noticed that a lot of people on the show have also has think, also have everyone that on the show does that. I do it. Mechanism. Everyone does. Everyone does. I'm doing it right now. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's something. It's just how we deal with it. Um, yeah. yeah, it's, it's a, to me. It's a sign of somebody who's had a lot of trauma mm. in their lives. Like that's how they deflect. Yeah, yeah. it's like laugh to keep from crying. Kind yeah. Of yeah. so yeah, um, sorry to be all serious no it's it. true it's 100 percent true it's 100 percent true yeah yeah i, I believe mm-hmm. that 100 percent. 
So I say that because I'm going to start talking about stuff and it might sound inappropriate for me to be laughing. To me, it would be inappropriate to be laughing about this stuff, okay. but it's going to be kind of heavy or at least it's heavy for me. So okay. maybe it's not heavy for other people considering okay. the company that we have kept, mm. but um, yeah. So, okay. So all that time we're growing up in the New Yorker. We didn't leave there until I think we left there in like 1990. So okay. that time, so that's basically like my, so most there of my actual till, childhood. Till you were 10 years old. Nine. I think I was nine, uh, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 We left, I think we left like the spring of 90 and then I'm a summer baby. Okay. So then I, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but so during that time, my mother started getting a little bit more involved and this is where it gets kind of weird. So like he. So she would come over to visit us and my dad would let her because of course my dad wanted her to come back. And of course, all the indoctrinations, like keep your marriage, keep the family together, together, no matter what the cost that is, that's your, that's your purpose in life is to keep that shit together. Even if it's a fucking, you know, nuclear wasteland of toxicity, you got it. You got to keep that shit together. Basically. I'm not saying yours was, but I'm saying if the, in, even in the worst possible circumstances, that is your duty to keep it together. At all costs. Yes. Yes. Um, It was definitely what my dad was, (laughs) what was driving my dad in that, in these circumstances, because what would happen is my mom would bring over different, like mostly this guy, but also um, at one point, another couple of other spiritual sons. And um, my mom would bring over this guy and, um, all we really knew about him was that he was like a disabled veteran. That's pretty and, much all we knew. Wait, about and him. is this the, the neo-Nazi guy? Just to just to be yeah. clear. Okay. So it's the same mm-hmm. same person I'm talking about. The, the guy mm-hmm. who's channeling St. Peter. Yes. Okay. So he would come and visit us sometimes. Yeah. And then eventually um, he, um, okay, so sorry. Eventually we would start going to visit them in New Jersey. Like, yeah. like um, the kids would <clears throat> and there's another thing what was it that I wanted to say about that piece oh well maybe it'll come back so we would start visiting and uh sometimes then because my mom was always working then she would leave us with him sometimes and so a lot of really scary shit happens there mm-hmm. and I'm not going to go super into detail about it but basically we were, except from, I don't know if my brother was, but I know for a fact that my sister was tortured and also raped and I was probably raped, but I'm still dealing with the like untangling of those memories. So, okay. So here's what I want to say something about repressed memory, because there was a time, so I've been through tons of therapy for this (laughs) and other things, but there was a time where repressed memory psychologists would tell us the repressed memory actually doesn't, didn't happen. Like it wasn't a thing, mm. but, but I'm here to tell you that in those kinds of traumatic situations, our minds do whatever they need to do to protect us. Mm. And so we disassociate and we don't remember, we forget. Um, so we both witnessed and were, you know, we witnessed this abuse from him and also were victims of it. So witnessing is just as horrible, right? 
as Fuck. as being part of it. Yeah. Um, and I I blame the I still blame I blame the cult for this shit. Mm. <laughs> I blame him too, but I totally blame the cult for this shit. So. Fuck. Um. So my dad didn't know. My dad says that he didn't know, but you know, like if you picture like like if you look at like. I can imagine what he was going through and just trying to keep the family together and not wanting to like, mm. not wanting, like there was so much, there was so much of parents, like not wanting to see shit, yeah. you know, in the name of, Oh, you know, true father said this, true mm. father said that, like, yeah. it's okay. We're going to like, look the other way. We're not going to yeah. focus on that. Yeah. We're going to be good so that bad things don't happen to us. Yeah. So I can only imagine the type of guilt that was going on with my dad at this time but you know like my sister has told me stories about how she would like run to the police station with like bruises on her legs and she was only like three or four at this time when all this shit was happening like bruises on her legs and her like her stockings torn and the the police would take would call my mom and my mom would come pick her up and take her right back to that house and then go back to work so anyway this this was going on while we were living in the new yorker (laughs) so we're going from like a place of like severe abuse to a place of severe neglect sorry i just and nobody was doing anything about it nobody was doing fucking shit about it well i just need to like fucking scream like fuck fuck these guys fuck jesus christ man Sorry, I just interrupted you there, but this that's no, it's the, okay. the, the gears are turning in my head just listening to that story. Man, fuck. Yeah. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Jesus Christ. Um, I mean, I'm so sorry to hear that that's happened to you and your sister. Um, but I mean, just fuck these guys. Uh, and I agree. Like, yeah, like this neo-Nazi dude was to blame for that but also the cult is to blame for mm-hmm. for enabling it's it's i don't even know if i can describe it but i i know i've, I've been around parents like that who just let shit happen and don't and don't want to know about it and don't want to hear about it i know i know people i'm not gonna name names but i know i know people who have been sexually assaulted girls who've been sexually assaulted uh by by the people, people in the church um uh girls have been sexually assaulted and they go tell they go tell their parents uh and mm-hmm. and the, and the parents are like no that didn't happen um, because they don't want to deal with having, you know, a kid who's fallen or whatever, or, you know, like, yeah, uh, exactly. so, so fuck, exactly. it's not like, f- yes, yeah. fuck this guy, this guy is, is, is a shithead for sure. This neo-Nazi dude, but the cult enabled mm-hmm. that shit a hundred percent. Um, yeah. I mean, they conditioned my mom to be in that environment yeah. is how I see it. Yeah. You know, and that's also going to be a theme through this, <laughs> this, yeah. this lovely little storytelling. <sighs> right it's like how how those how those environments um are not just like they plague us for a year you know like (laughs) they impact us you know beyond the time like like I got out when I was 17 um and I'll tell that story later but like Mm. I didn't really get out until I was I don't know 35 or something yeah it's kind of like it's (laughs) kind of like me that's actually that's that's like very kind of similar to me um yeah 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 when did you feel like you really started to wake up I mean I so I I, 
I realized the whole thing was bullshit when I was 18. Um, but I, because of all the pressure that you are, you know, painfully familiar with yourself, um, I agreed to an arranged marriage, uh, and I got married. Um, uh, I was, uh, so I was 22 when I was, when I was matched engaged and 24 when I got married, uh, and we were together mm-hmm. until I was 36. So we were, and during that time, I was kind of like, just, it was, it wasn't a bad relationship. And I still have a great relationship with her now. She's still my best friend. Um, but there was a lot wrong with the, like, that's, you don't, your spouse shouldn't be your best friend in a way, or maybe they should, but they shouldn't. That's, I don't know. It's, it's hard to describe, but like, that's, that's, it's gotta be more than that. You know what I mean? Uh, and so we were together for a long time. And I, the reason I like, I just want to, I don't want to paint like a complete, a completely bleak picture of it because there were good times, but mm-hmm. when it's all said and done at the end of that relationship, uh, you know, when I was 36, um, then I could look back at my life. And that's when, for the first time I was like, what the fuck, why did I do that? Why would I, why did I, how conditioned was I to accept an arranged marriage to someone at, you know, in my early twenties to someone that's even younger than me? Like, why did I even do that? And then that's when I really kind of started to, that's when I started really like, this when I started going to therapy. That's when I started reading books and trying to understand what had happened to me. So I feel like I kind of, I've almost had like two layers of awakening effectively. And I'm still kind of working through the, the, the second phase. Um, Mm -hmm. But I don't know if that phase ever ends to be quite honest. Um, (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a pro an unwinding process and it will probably take not to be bleak about it, but for me, it will take my whole life because yeah. it, that's where we started our lives yeah. in that environment. Yeah. Right? And, and for me, like there, there are certain, I won't go, go into it now, but there are certain things that you said, just listening to, to, to this, that have made me realize things about my own self, basically that I was not aware of before. Um, and mm-hmm. I find that every time I do one of these interviews uh, and hopefully for the audience, when they listen to it, hopefully they also see their own experiences from a different perspective and maybe learn more about them themselves. But every time you learn something about yourself, it's like you kind of uh, usually kind of creates a bit more kind of work on yourself or like you, you yeah, kind of like you you're turning over all these rocks in, and, and then you're like, Oh <laughs> shit, there's like, a, there's something under there that I need to think about, you know? Um, yeah that's kind of how I feel now yeah yeah I really hear you there it's like oh great there's a rock and then you look under and you're like oh there's a lot of stuff here to look at mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. a lot of stuff yeah yeah exactly exactly <laughs> great oh great <laughs> uh, yeah you're like I, I think I'm happy I looked under that rock it may be I don't like well, and I mean, that's, that's kind of the attraction. I think that was a little bit of the attraction of the cult for our parents too, right? It was like ignorance is bliss. Like mm. everybody else, like the moons made all the decisions, you know, yeah. like they didn't have to make decisions for themselves. You didn't have to think about yeah. it. It was all, it's all done for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a, you know, I think it's pretty well known now too, but like the 
the de- brain development, you know, people don't actually get like to the point in their brain development um, where they can really do the adulting things until they're 25. So mm. it's very common for cults to like, you know, marriage traffic or sex traffic or uh, any of those trafficking things like to get them, you know, like, so you were talking about getting married before, you know, before yeah. you were 25 and yeah. like my parents both joined before they were 25. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's quite common. And actually just, just mm-hmm. kind of thinking about that. I know right now, like there's amongst the, the second generation that are still in it. It's like, you're, if you don't get married by the time you're like 25, it's like, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's very slim pickings out there. I feel like that the organization mm-hmm. just kind of like abandons you. They're like, forget it. They're, they're a lost cause. Even if you were like, like uber faithful, you know mm. what you know they're what if you get to that age they're kind of like fuck it they're they're done um so i wow. i i, I kind of wonder if maybe just based on what you said about that whole brain development thing i don't know if the organization is is like is clever enough to have done this intentionally but maybe even you know subconsciously or, or inadvertently they kind of realize that like look if we don't hook them by the time they're 25 then it doesn't we, we ain't gonna get them um yeah yeah yeah. So, so to, to turn that into a, a supportive statement, y'all <laughs> <laughs> don't get married in the church until you're 25. Decide. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Don't decide to go to the blessing until you're 25. And if you exactly. don't want to go then, <laughs> then, then yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe, <laughs> may, uh, maybe, but yeah, I, I, like there's a reason most people don't get married at such a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am living proof that even if you get married at a young age, it may not be something that's going to last forever. Um, and yeah, you just might want to wait a little bit before, mm-hmm. before making that decision. Yeah. I'm just thinking about any listeners that might be questioning at all, like listening to you and yeah. being like, well, you know, if you're not, if you don't feel like you're ready to like leave, but just be more thoughtful about that and don't, mm. yeah, don't let yourself be pushed into yeah. a blessing before you're ready yeah because yeah. of your actual physiological development hmm. so I, I it, so you're you're just to be really specific on that and maybe we can talk about the the, the evidence to support that um but you're, you're basically saying like before the age of 25 you're, you're not really you're just not an adult you're just not a not really your brain isn't thinking it's not, fully it's not, developed. It's not <laughs> making adult decisions at that point it's not an adult brain. Okay. It's still in the like more, way more willing to take risks place mm. that, that don't make sense. You know how teenagers, there's like mm-hmm. a sort of a, a stereotype where teenagers do something and you're like, what the hell? Why did you yeah. do that? <laughs> yeah. You're still in that, that phase, you know, there's like more hubris. There's less, um, there's less, uh, attention to consequence. There's less thought of consequence. Mm. Um, okay. Peer pressure is is much more. You're more yeah. susceptible to peer pressure. Yeah. Yeah. It's not until you're 25 for most human beings that your brain is like so fully developed that you can actually get out of that stage. Okay. Okay. And do you have any um any like like books or articles or anything like that that you could refer to um for the audience to just just on that topic? Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty, that particular piece is pretty fundamental in our like research and science. Like it's pretty understood at this point. Okay. Um, but I would say, and I can link, I can send you. Some okay. Stuff. All right. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, er, um, Erickson's, um, 
stages of, I think it's psychosocial development or Eric's stages, Erickson's stages of development okay. um, is something that if you just like go online and YouTube right. it, <laughs> okay, awesome. you okay. can find that Cool. and it'll explain, it'll explain the different, the different aspects of the brain and how that sort of like plays out in our psychosocial development. Okay. Um, you know, kind of like, what are the interactions that we're supposed to be having at this age? You know, what are the things mm. that are important to us and where are the things that we're learning? And yeah. Okay. okay, cool. Yeah. We'll, we'll include that in the show notes. That, that, that's awesome. Thank you for, for bringing that, bringing that point to sure. light. It's not something that we've talked about before here. Okay, great. Yeah. I'll, and I'll send you some better resources than that. Okay, cool. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Thank you. In the show notes, but cool. that's what Thank I'm just you. thinking about right now. Just to clarify for continuity's sake, there was a little bathroom break and then we came right back with drinks in our hands. Also, I should note that we're going to go on a bit of a wild tangent here, but it's necessary to understand the context for when we come back on topic. Now back to the interview. Hey, is that a cider or a beer? It's a cider. Nice. Uh, I don't Okay. Okay. Um, this country is amazing for cider. This is like, like, it's great for beer too, I think personally, but for cider, it's also, it's also wonderful. I love, yeah. Um, it's just, it's a good place to live for. Awesome. Yeah. Where are you again in England? I'm in, I'm in London, in London? Uh, like Southwest London. Um, okay. uh, still, you can still take, I'm at like the, the end of the, um, the central line. Have you ever been to London? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Or not, sorry, not the central line, um, the district line. So um, okay. I, I'm in Richmond. Did you ever go to Richmond Park when you're when you're over here? Okay, so Rich, Richmond Park is like kind of in Southwest London, um, and so yeah, I live there. It's it's a it's amazing. I love living here. Um, there's a, like the park is amazing. There's an awesome riverfront near here, all walking distance from my house. Uh, I can take the cool. train in, into Central London. It takes about I think it's like a 16 minute train ride into central London from here. Um, or you can take the, take the tube. Um, so it's actually really convenient. Um, it's like, it's it's awesome. I love it. Um, and wait, you're in, wait, are you in Seattle? No, no, I'm in the Sierra Nevada foothills. Actually, I was gonna say mountains, but wow, which is in California. It's like, um, kind of near Yosemite. Oh, wow. Okay. So quite rural then. Yes. Very rural. Oh, okay. Okay. I didn't realize. Okay. Okay. For some, yeah, for some reason. Okay. Yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't asked you that before. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. uh, oh, but in California. Yeah. So like Northern, technically Northern California, but like near in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada near. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. North of Yosemite, like East of Tahoe. If, if you okay. know where that is. Yeah, yeah. And then it's like three hours drive from San Francisco, basically, to the okay. east. Three hours east. Okay. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Oh, I didn't realize you were you were you were living like in the mountains. In the mountains, in the, yeah. In exactly. the country. Exactly. <laughs> um mm-hmm. <laughs> that's cool. It's a beautiful part of the part of the world. Um yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. I think maybe you know somebody once or twice. And it's, well, I know I've been there at least once, maybe twice. Um, cool yeah it is it's very good for my mental health (laughs) i believe it i believe it um yeah that's i don't know i'm uh i like living here but there's 
So if I, I will, well, I can decide later on if we leave this on the tape, but if I, if, if I didn't get arranged married in this, in this cult, when I was younger, there's, yeah. there's a different trajectory of my life where I probably would have ended up ski, ski bumming out West for, for like a few years after, after uni. Um, and Ooh. could have been like, I was considering going to Tahoe at one point, um, to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a friend who had done that, like, um, a long time ago, um, in Tahoe specifically. And I don't know. Cool. Yeah, I was, that was a potential, potential pathway for me at one point, but it's, it's hmm. not, it's not what I did. Um, you look happy when you talk about it. Oh yeah. Interesting. Okay. Maybe you should mm-hmm. pursue that. That, that tells you something, doesn't it? Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, harder to pursue with a kid um, but maybe not impossible I don't know kids are great at skiing yeah well no I mean <laughs> I, yeah I, I think I think being a ski bum difficult having a good kid but oh, going yeah, skiing with true. them no like no definitely um, I was actually gonna I was gonna take him to the, the Alps over here for the first time two oh. years ago I so I've been to the Alps many times over here which is fucking amazing it's unbelievable oh. um do you ski uh, or snowboard? I, I snowboard. Um, nice. So do I. Oh, nice. Awesome. Um, and yes, yeah, when I was in university, I worked in a, in a snowboard shop, ski and snowboard shop in oh, DC. Wow. And I got like, like really into it. I do that like a lot. Um, and then when I moved over here, the thing is like my wife just wasn't into it. And like, I tried to get her into it, but she just wasn't. And like, yeah, it's not her fault. Right. Like who cares? Like some people it's like, just like, <laughs> Uh, yep. and so, but then it's like, you only have a limited amount of time to travel when you're together, then like, do you, how do you prioritize that? Right. Then when yeah. we split up all of a sudden it was like, okay, I can do what I want. So mm. ever since we split up, like I've been, I, well, I would have been every year if it wasn't for the pandemic, I think. Uh, and then the pandemic wow. came in, uh, pandemic came in and then I, I couldn't, I went actually once in, I went in February of 2020, right before the pandemic hit. I, I had a trip booked in April of 2020 with my son, um, but that got canceled because of the pandemic. And now I'm trying to figure it out. I might actually take him to Scotland because um, mm. you can go, you can, you can drive there. It's like a nine hour drive. You don't have to fly. Um, and oh, yeah. that might make it easier. So I, in February, I might do that with him. That might be super um, fun for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Isn't that interesting how you're like, well, because I was married, I couldn't really do what I wanted. Yes, completely. And like, that's right there to me. And not to get back into the subject because yeah, I totally yeah. love hearing about you. Yeah, but yeah. like to me, that's like a sign. Like that's when that's how you know that it wasn't a healthy relationship. Like Correct. we're not supported yeah. because the opposite. So like, my current relationship, which is a wild success compared to all my mm. other relationships, <laughs> it's like right. I'm doing more of what I love. Yeah. And what I'm interested in because I'm in a healthy relationship with someone who like loves to see me happy. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you go on that interview. That's what you're, you know, like you, yeah. you go, you go and, out and get lost in the mountains because that's yeah. what you like to do. You know? And well, yeah. And this is the thing, this is a thing that I'm learning now after, you know, getting divorced and going through a few relationships of my own, like trying to figure that out. How do you, sort of chart that pathway and there's it's I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this so like does your partner do they like 
it sounds like they don't necessarily come out in the mountains with you, but they just give you the space to go do that. If you want to do it, is that, is that correct? Or do they come with you? They do both. Okay. So like, if I'm really feeling it and they're not, that's okay. Yeah. I go do it yeah. or I go get my friends to come with me. I love being by myself in the woods though. I have to say, Okay. but like, or in the mountains, but like, yeah, they do both. And the same for yeah. me, like I can tell when they're lit up about something mm. and regardless of whether I'm lit up about it, I'm like, yeah, yeah you should totally do that, dude. Yeah. Because it clearly makes you happy. Yeah. Um, no, that's awesome. And that's something that I'm still kind of wrapping my head around. And well, yeah, to, to your point, like that's like, yeah, I, I was married to someone for, you know, well, we were together for, I think 15 years, I was married for 13 of those or something like that. But yeah, like, honestly, neither of us were really doing what we wanted to do with our time because we mm. just, and time, like time is mm-hmm. it's, it's the most limited commodity you have. So yeah. if you're going to be with someone, they should like, you know, they should, it, it should, they should be supportive of, of you doing what you want to do. And yep. I'm not, I'm not trying to paint a picture of my ex-wife, like not supporting me, but it also, it just, something about it wasn't healthy. Like I just, it, mm-hmm. it wasn't, we, we couldn't give each other the space that we needed mm-hmm. to do what we wanted. Um, yeah. And yeah, it was just, it was, it was counterproductive in a lot of ways um, to our happiness for sure. You guys were probably feeling so much pressure from the obligation of what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. You know, which is it's such a detriment yeah, <laughs> to absolutely. any relationship too. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, like loving, loving interaction. And this is something that, you know, people that I think get out of cults don't, like I was taught to, that my body wasn't my own. Like I was mm. taught that I couldn't even marry who I wanted to marry. I didn't want to marry a guy. Mm. Like I was like, why do I have to marry a guy? Like, why does it have to be that way? You know, but of course I, I didn't say that because, yeah. you know, you get sent to conversion therapy. If you say shit like that, yeah. I was terrified of that shit. So, you know, um, but yeah, there's like all this like expectation of like what, what you should do and like what I didn't know. And I think a lot of people that don't know until they actually learn it in their lives is that like a real healthy relationship involves supporting each other in each other's happiness you know Mm. and their pursuits and like yeah learning how to ebb and flow with like oh well this person like oh well you're you're gonna go do that because that makes you happy and that doesn't mean that like I'm incomplete it means that I get to actually be with myself and do the things that make me happy yeah while you're doing that you know and then when we get back together we can share with each other about it yeah which is super cool I mean like there's I think there's, there's like almost no bigger turn on at this point for me than when my partner is looking happy and like Mm. feeling fulfilled, you know? Yeah. That's great. That's like, that's such, that's so the opposite of everything that we, like the model that we had around us. Um, and that, and yeah, a lot of what you said, like resonates with me and sort of um, it's all stuff that I've, that I've, that I feel like I'm learning, you know, I've only, I, I I just, I, 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 I'm actually nearly 41 and I've only really been dating for like three and a half years. Um, and so I'm like, (laughs) like every, everything you said, it's like, it's like, yeah, like, yeah, like that shit, like that makes sense. But it's like, no, this is all shit that I've been learning in the last three, three to four years, you know? Um, wow. uh, so do you feel yeah. behind now that you're like in the outside world on like a ton of shit? 
future yeah. like, really behind? Like, how, well, what is that like? So it's interesting. Um, I guess I feel like, okay, I need to figure out if I want to keep this on the, on the tape or not. Okay. We'll, we'll figure that out to figure that out. But I'll, 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 I, I, um, I feel like, so I, part of me wants to just like go out there and like experience everything, like, like sleep with all the women that I didn't sleep with in my twenties, basically. Yeah, um, that's, that's like, totally understandable. Um, that's part of, yeah. So part of me feels like that. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, I, I also do, I, I kind of like the connection of feeling like you're in a relationship with someone and feeling like you're like, like you're, there's, there's something there. There's a connection there that's beyond just like purely, purely physical. And so I, I don't like, I do enjoy that to be quite honest. And so there, there are these two parts of me. Part of me is like, I'd like, just like, no, never want to commit to anyone. Don't want to like, you know, but equally I'm like, I actually kind of, I kind of, I, you can, I enjoy the intimacy and and the way that you can feel with someone when you're, you know, when you spend, when you spend more and more time with them. Um, so yeah. I, yeah. I do feel like I'm behind, but I also don't want to like use that as an excuse to like, not, you know, develop a, a loving relationship with someone as well. Um, and I, 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 don't, I don't really know. I don't know. I don't know the, the, the right answer to that question. Um, but yes, I do feel like, <laughs> I, I do feel like I'm behind a hundred percent. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't meant to be like a, a pigeonhole for sure. It was just, I definitely have those experiences still, even now. Like, I'm yeah. like, oh, I don't know that because when I was 15, most of the rest of the teenagers in America were doing this and I was yeah. getting ready for the blessing, you know, like, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. But I totally hear you on the like, I mean, so, okay, I think that this conversation is also really valuable and I don't care whether you put it in or not, whatever you think is fine is fine. But like, these are the kind of conversations that we didn't have and weren't allowed to have. Like what I'm hearing you say is like, you're also kind of like in this questioning of your sexuality. Like there's this um, type of sexuality. There's so many different types of sexuality Mm. out there right now. So like, for example, like for me, I consider myself a demisexual because Mm. I have tried to sleep around and I have I definitely let loose when I was in my 20s okay probably other end of the spectrum because of all the oppression yeah and suppression and yeah yeah but like um but I've come to know myself now after having those experiences Mm. and looking at like using my critical mind (laughs) my very severely underdeveloped critical mind until I got (laughs) into college um, to be like, oh, I am a demisexual. I I don't enjoy like sex and intimacy with someone that I don't feel like I have an emotional connection with. Mm. Like I can do it. I mean, like I'm functioning. My body yeah. is functional, but yeah. it doesn't do it doesn't do anything for me. Yeah. So I'm not like attracted to that mm. kind of relationship anymore. Yeah. You know, the like one night stand or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And sorry. Okay. What can you, can you define demisexual? Um, what, like, what yeah, is, dem- what, what does that mean? It means that you are, to my understanding, look yeah. this up folks though. I am okay. not an expert on sexuality, okay. but <laughs> I'm still on my own journey. But to me, it means 
that you can only really have sex with someone that you have an emotional connection to. Okay. Okay. So for me, it has to be there. There has to be some, some sort of emotional intimacy. Yeah. It can't just okay. be like animal on animal action. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. Kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, this is interesting. And actually let's, let's talk about this and let's, we'll probably keep it on unless like, really, but like to, to me, I actually, this is a, a place that I've wanted to go with the show. But just like kind of having an open conversation about this, especially for people who are, um, you know, just everyone who's been sort of stuck in this like pressure cooker around sex. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, like I want to, I want to pop that fucking bubble basically. And I've been, I've been, uh, do you know, like, like I want to release the pressure basically. And I've been trying to figure out what the right format is to do it, but you've just asked me the question. So like, let's fucking, let's fucking, <laughs> let's do what we can, you know? Uh, but yeah, it's, I, I don't know. So I'll, I'm saying is I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought it up because I feel like it, it's almost like an issue that's, that's, that we've all like, even in, in the two seasons that I've been doing this show, we've kind of like danced around it. It's like the elephant yeah. in the room. Uh, I noticed. But- <laughs> <laughs> Okay. See, even it's because it's I'm like uncomfortable talking about it, right? Uh, so yeah, I gotta like which is I got understandable like, because you were indoctrinated. To yeah. Me. Why? Why might that be? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, um. So okay. Hit. Okay. Okay. Talk to me. Talk to me. You gotta pop the bubble. You gotta. I. I can't do it. I'm. I'm too uncomfortable on myself. On, on my own. You gotta. You gotta do this for me. Oh well, now you're putting me on the spot. I guess I was just. <laughs> I was just saying that, like, it's like, okay, so I'll give you an example. Okay. I was actually, at this person's going to know. And thus began an extremely uncomfortable discussion, but also a wonderful discussion with Yeb. You're going to have to wait for the next episode to hear that. Yeb talked about the elephant in the run-up to the beginning of that conversation. And um, after recording, Yeb and I threw around some ideas for the, the name of the next episode. One idea I had was slaying the elephant. But first of all, Yeb didn't want to be involved in the slaying of an animal, let alone an animal as majestic as an elephant, which I'm on board with. Second of all, it's a big fucking elephant. And I don't think we really got close to slaying that motherfucker, but we identified it at least. We named it, we drew the outlines of it, and Yeb and I had a great discussion about that. Again, you're going to have to wait for next week to listen to that. In the next episode, we also talk about what it was like to grow up in this cult where the most fundamental particle of being the fundamental building block of everything was either male or female. What's it like to grow up in that environment when you don't feel like you fit into either of those? When the whole theology is built on this idea that those are the fundamental atomic units of being, and you don't fit into that categorization of the most basic fundamental building block of life and reality. That's what we talk about in the next episode, plus a whole lot more, plus obviously naming that motherfucking elephant. I want to say thanks to Yeb. This was such a great conversation, and I'm really looking forward to sharing part two with you, the audience. Please stick around for that one.
I'm going to reiterate something that I said in the introduction, which is that there is an active community of queer ex-moonies, specifically queer ex-moonies who grew up in the cult. If you're listening to this and you'd like to be part of that support group, Yeb is happy for you to contact them directly. The contact details will be in the show notes for this. The email address is mixyebraven at gmail.com. That's M-X-Y-E-B-R-A-V-E-N at gmail.com. Thank you again to Yeb for the incredible insights and for being a resource for the Queer X Muni community. And I hope that this message can reach people and that they can find the support that they need and know that they are loved no matter who they are and no matter what the bullshit cult they were born into tells them about their self-worth. They are valuable and they are loved. Thank you, everyone. See you next time.